Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shailene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy, please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up, and let's get ready for today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Tea Talk. This week, I am sitting and having tea with Gina Abundante. Gina, say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here. I am a licensed clinical social worker here in New Jersey, and I have a group practice called Change of Mind Counseling that I started about just about three years ago or so. Nice. Yeah. So Gina's here in the, this is South Jersey still, right? I always wonder like where people (laughs) drawing the line at South Jersey. It's a whole episode. Where does South Jersey start? But yes, um, Gina's here in South Jersey and you'll learn a little bit more about her practice and stuff like that at the end of the show. But I asked Gina to come on and talk a little bit about her personal story how I find out about, about most people's lives on a personal Facebook post where somebody <laughs> shares something pretty deeply and I'm like, holy crap, I did not know any of this about you. And while I don't remember the specifics of the post, I do remember the content was about um, having a type of OCD that has you like focus on really horrible things happening. And when I read that, that was one time. There's one other time I was listening to a Brene Brown book where she didn't talk about OCD specifically but she talked about this process that happens I did not know about um, when becoming a mom where you have like these horrible, vivid Mm -hmm. images of something terrible happening to your child. And I thought, oh my God, like other people have this happen too. And so when I saw your post, I was like, oh, I have to have Gina come on and talk about this. So why don't you start with, tell us a little bit about like you as a person growing up and becoming a therapist and those kinds of things. And then we'll kind of land back in, in this place. Yeah, for sure. So I I like to tell people that I think being or becoming a therapist kind of chose me. I've always sort of been like a really introverted observer kind of person. I was always very shy, but I always really enjoyed or found an interest in like watching how other people interact with one another and just how they behave and why they say the things they said. And I think it was just sort of like a a good fit for me. I've struggled with anxiety since I was a really small kid. I think I'm, the first panic attack I can remember was in, when I was in kindergarten. So, oh, man. Yeah. So I once I turned 16, I started really having a lot more panic attacks after the passing of my grandfather. And it was at that time that my mom and dad were like, I think you need to, you need to talk to someone. Thankfully, both of my parents, more my mom, but both of my parents struggle with anxiety in their own way. So they knew what it was. So I had someone that could kind of help and guide me and got me set up with uh, with a therapist that really was quite beneficial for me. So at that point, when I saw that, hey, there is a way out of this beast, this monster of a thing, 
that I said, oh, now I, I really want to do this. This makes sense. Now I can watch, I know like I can watch other people and see how they act and behave. And now I can see that there's a way to like work on these things and help mm-hmm. people. And that was it. It solidified it. So I went to college and then grad school and I originally was going to go for my master's and go the doctorate in psychology, but I'm a terrible test taker and I did not want to take the GRE. So I was like, how about I go for my master's in social work? And I'll change my whole <laughs> life based on not having to take one exam. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it was like, I didn't want to have to do a uh, dissertation, which I ended up kind of doing anyway in grad school, but whatever. So it worked out. So yeah, so I went the, I became a social worker. I went to Rutgers in Camden. And it was great. I just, it was just brought all of these things about learning how to, how to be a therapist. And it just brought all of these pieces of things together for me. From there, I did all my clinical work. I was at uh, Kennedy, now it's Jefferson, but it was Kennedy and Cherry Hill. And I kind of floated around to a couple different jobs. And then in 2011, I think, 10, 11, I think it was 11. I got a job at the Virtua Center for Women in Lumberton, which is an OBGYN clinic. And I absolutely fell in love with the population. I love working with uh, pregnant and postpartum women or women that are looking to conceive. I worked with a, a whole slew of different diagnoses and situations. I had women that um, had to terminate for medical reasons. I had women that lost pregnancies. I had women with trauma histories. Like I had, I saw everything and I loved it. Mm-hmm. So when I decided to go into private practice, I knew from the beginning that that was going to be my focus, that I wanted to work with the maternal mental health population. And so I did. And it just sort of fit because then I had my daughter in 2012. And then I was like, oh, this all makes sense. Like, <laughs> see why, I, see I get why, why everyone's struggling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, man, this like, this really makes a ton of sense. And it just made me love the population and have so much more of a stake in it and want to be even more advocating for this population for the needs that they need, they really need. And so the, the rest was sort of history. I just, I went into private practice and we, I continued to work with this population and I just, I just absolutely adore it. And I still, to this day, I, I specialize in working with maternal mental health now in the recent years, more specializing in that anxiety disorders and OCD in in the perinatal population. Yeah. But I also do a fair amount with uh, you know birth trauma and pregnancy loss and things like that. So given this is your specialty, I'm curious that statement that I made about like listening to the book and having my own moments of, and this, it's not something I've like talked too much about because I kind of like would just like push it away and try and keep going. And they weren't so intrusive that they were happening all the time. But I would have these terrible, terrible images of something really bad happening to my son. I remember, like, for example, we live in a house with a pool. Uh And I think some of it is because we have social media and you can, like, read all these articles and posts and all these things that your brain is not, like, equipped to have access to. So with all of that information and then, like, when we bought the house, I just – I was, like, so – stuck on the pool. I was like, we have to have a fence around the pool and we need to, and how are we going to make sure he doesn't fall in the pool? And how are we going to make sure he doesn't drown? And I would have these images like just flash in front of me of like my son floating in the pool. I don't even like saying it out loud because it freaks me out to say it out loud, but I would have these really upsetting images and sometimes they would bring me to tears. I'm curious, like, is this a thing for moms? Like, does this happen regularly or... 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I can remember, I mean, personally, it's happened to me. And I do think that for a lot of reasons, women after and not just women, dads have it as well, you know, but in this realm, we're talking about uh, women having this. But absolutely. I mean, I think a big piece of what happens for perinatal for the perinatal population is this sense of over responsibility of feeling like, Oh, now I'm like, this little human like relies Mm -hmm. on me for everything. And it is a hundred percent my responsibility to keep this kid alive. Mm -hmm. And I think that that over responsibility tends to feed into all of these things that we're afraid could possibly happen. Like we, it's our job to keep this kid safe. So now I have to scan my environment for all of these things that could possibly hurt or damage or injure Mm -hmm. my child. And I think that's sort of where it's born out of. And then there's also like the the overvalued ideation or overvalue of our thoughts and what they mean. And I think that adds into the mix as well. But it's super common. I mean, just looking at the statistics, like 95% of parents of uh, postpartum women or pregnant women experience intrusive thoughts of harm coming to their children. 95 Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's I everybody. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I'd like to meet the 5% of people that don't have those. I'm thoughts. like, what's, like- <laughs> what's your life? What's going on up there? Give me some of that. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, not everybody goes on to develop OCD, of course, but it's, it's very, very common. I mean, and in the OCD world, you'll hear that everybody has intrusive thoughts and that's, that's accurate to a certain extent, but there is meaning as to why people get stuck on certain themes. And I think that's a that's an important thing for a lot of people to understand, like, oh, there is a reason why this one particular theme is getting stuck for me. This one piece of harm thing is getting stuck for me. And I think that's a really important piece for, for everyone. In those 95% intrusive thoughts of something bad happening to your child, it's 95% of, of women, of moms have the, is that the statistic? 95% of moms mm-hmm. yeah. have these thoughts. Does that also include intrusive thoughts of moms potentially doing something harmful to their kid? Yeah, absolutely. So harm OCD or harm intrusive thoughts falls into the realm of intrusive thoughts of harm coming to their child, intrusive thoughts of them harming their child, and also intrusive thoughts about them harming themselves, Mm -hmm. which is a particularly taboo one. Um, and happens to be my own main theme, but mm-hmm. it is though it kind of falls into those three categories. So harm coming to their child, them harming their child, or them harming themselves. And one of the first things you said was there's a sense of over responsibility to take care of the kid. Tell me a little bit about that because I'm like, well, it is my responsibility to keep him alive. Like, yes, who else would it be? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So when we look at OCD, there's sort of a, a couple of different things that tend to get lumped in and what sort of creates it. And one of those things is a sense of over-responsibility, meaning that, yes, it is our responsibility to keep this child safe and healthy, but there is that sense of like taking it to the nth degree, meaning like we are constantly scanning our environment for anything and everything that could be possible, right? When we look at responsibility, it's looking at the things that happen in the here and now, right? So hey, my kid's putting something in a an electrical outlet, like, no, I need to like stop doing that. I need to like stop my child, redirect my child from doing that. But then there's that sense of over-responsibility of 
we're going into our imagination and imagining all of the things. Every that electrical could outlet in the world exactly. needs to get plugged up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And every single thing that could possibly happen. We're putting bumpers on the edges of corners of tables. Because they sell them. So you right. would think. Which is a whole other thing that I could totally rant about. I was I think looking there's at, like- yeah, so much. F- there is a lot of fear in like sales of baby oh, things. Absolutely. I was looking at a registry the other day and it was like a whole, I was like, how the hell do you even use this? It was the table. So little corner protectors, which I've seen, but then it was like a whole roll of table like cushion. I guess you like wrap it around. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, how do you even get these things to stay on? So I'm really glad that you pointed that out, that there is this relationship of like, especially when you're a new parent, like you're, looking for all of the things that you need, what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see all of these things being sold and you're like, well, if I don't buy the table protector, what an asshole I'm going to be when my kid gets a black eye on the table <laughs> because I didn't have the table yeah. wrapped up, you know? So yeah. this makes a lot of sense. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I say this a lot and it's it's a little controversial, but the parenting industry is a, is a big bounty maker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little far from having babies. My kids are now 11 and seven, but there's a gadget for every single thing when you are raising a child, right? Mm-hmm. Half of that crap they don't even need, but it's a big business. And I think that there is so much fear of like, well, how do you know? How do you know that right. this is not going to hurt your child? How do you know that the water that you put in the bathtub is the just the right temperature? Well, let's put a thermometer in this baby in this baby bath. Uh, so you don't burn baby your bath. baby alive. Right. When in reality, we can, uh, we can teach parents to use their common sense and use their five senses and stay in the moment and not get stuck in like, well, it's possible. It's possible that this awful thing's going to happen. So now I have to try to prevent it by buying this gadget and going into my imagination. But- oh my God. That's so validating to hear you say, I wish I heard this like <laughs> two years ago, but still helpful for me now. Tell us a little bit about your own struggle. So this is for people who are listening and for myself as I'm learning, harm OCD, it's its own specific thing. And it doesn't necessarily, I'm assuming it doesn't, I mean, is it mostly manifesting in parents or can it be like with your loved ones and you have these three beliefs, you're worried about something happening to them, you hurting them or them harming themselves? Like, does it generalize in that way? Yeah. So OCD is like an umbrella. Well, if really it's under the umbrella of anxiety disorders. According to the DSM, that it says differently now, but I still treat it as an anxiety disorder. So there's a bunch of different anxiety disorders, but OCD is one of them. And then when we look at OCD itself, there are many, many different subtypes under the realm of OCD. So there's harm OCD, there's existential OCD, there's contamination, which we all know, which is, you know, hand washing. Most people probably think of when they think OCD. Yeah, most people think of so. Even within contamination OCD, there's two tracks. There's the, I'm afraid I'm going to get sick, and I'm afraid that I'm going to feel gross and disgusting, and I'll never be able to get that feel that feeling away. That's called disgust OCD. So there's two mm. tracks even in there. But So there's many, many different forms or themes, I should say, of OCD, and harm OCD is one of them. It's not uncommon for people, if you have one, that they tend to bounce. We call it whack-a-mole, but we tend to bounce in between different themes. There's scrupulosity, there's morality OCD, there's sensory motor OCD, where people get stuck on how they're breathing, or they can the fact that you can see your nose on your face. So there's certain things that 
you know, people get stuck on. But really, the sky's the limit on what the different themes are. But in this realm, Harm OCD is uh, is one of them. Uh, there are different forms even of, of Harm OCD or different presentations. There's something called hit and run OCD, where people are, when they're driving, that they're afraid that they might have hit somebody. So they'll go back and check repeatedly over and over again. And then we have within Harm OCD, we have, you know, sort of the harm that something awful is going to happen to them or their loved ones, something that maybe that they might hurt their loved ones on accident or intentionally, or that they might accidentally or intentionally hurt themselves. Um, so you sort of see those different, those three tracks within Harm OCD itself. What did your, so you talked about having panic attacks from a very young age, panic attacks, mm-hmm also in the family of anxiety along with OCD. When did it start turning into harm OCD for you and how did it manifest? Yeah, so it's interesting. Most people that develop OCD do so usually around like 12 or 13, like in their younger years. I would not say I did. I would say I had panic. I definitely had panic disorder because I would have panic attacks and I was always afraid of experiencing another one, which is like classic panic disorder. And that continued up right up and through my 20s. But I would also say I was quite the worrier. And I can notice little different twinges of things. So my dad, when he's retired now, but when he did, he used to work in Camden. So for people that aren't familiar with this area, Camden is not a great area, not great at all. And I would I would often think, because there used to be, there was like shootings around where he would work and lots of violence. So he would go to work and I would often worry like, oh my God, what if something happens to him? What if there's a shooting outside of his? What if he gets uh, mugged? What if, what if, what if, what if, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of worrying. So there's a little bit of like, I would say a a seed in there of planting the, planting this for me. But up until my early twenties or early thirties, I really did not experience OCD. So really, there was a bit of a clincher for me. So about what year are we in? 2023. So it was 2019. My husband and I went on, we went on vacation to Disney, happiest place on earth, not for me at this <laughs> moment. And as we were driving down, I had a really intense panic attack. And I hadn't for I hadn't had panic attacks to this level for a very, very long time. And then I started worrying, I started getting stuck in my imagination of oh my God, what if I can't make it? What if I have to go home? Am I going to ruin this vacation for them? How am I going to get home? Is my husband going to drop me off at the airport or my parents going to pick? Like I just went off on this tangent. Mm-hmm. And I was able to kind of reel it back in enough that we actually got down to Disney. And once I was there, I uh, was walking up to, we were staying at Fort Wilderness. So there's like a, a boat that you take over to the Magic Kingdom. And I walked over to the boat and I thought, how am I going to go? What if I have a panic attack on this boat? Like, I can't do this. Like, what am I going to do? Jump off into that water? There's alligators in the water. Like, I can't, like, all this whole oh thing. Right? <laughs> and just this intense amount of anxiety and pulling myself into my imagination of all these possible things that could happen. I had an intrusive thought that came up and said, if the anxiety continues at this level, you're going to end up killing yourself. And that <sighs> was it. it sent me into a spiral. I was ruminating and I was like, oh my God, is there something wrong with me? Have I been depressed my entire life and I never knew it? What's the mental Mm -hmm. health system in in Florida? Should I be in, like, should I go be evaluated myself? Right. It just sent me into such a place that 
as something I've never experienced before in my entire life. And it's interesting now, if you ask my kids, they will tell you that that was the best vacation they've ever been on, which I think is so, it's such an interesting dichotomy of how much suffering I was in and I was able to like compartmentalize that. Right. And how, like what their perception of it was, it's just so interesting to me. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how mine started. And I believe that it was sort of a lot of different things. It was that really intense anxiety from the panic disorder that got to a level that I hadn't experienced in so long, that overvalued ideation of my thoughts, and also being stuck sort of in my imagination of these possible things that could happen. So yeah, so I got through that trip and then I came home and I thought, okay, I just have to get home. Like maybe it's the stress of being on this trip and it's everything will be okay when I get home. Well, when I got home, it was not better. It was in more intense. It was, I was focusing on these thoughts and I was like, what's wrong with me? I was trying to figure them out and all the classic signs of OCD. And I thought, I literally thought I was going crazy. Like this is, it's... Which feeds into the whole other thing of, of, yeah, exactly. And like, this really was my vulnerable self theme, which we can talk about a little bit more later, but it fed right into this fear of, well, what if I go crazy? What if there's something wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And I had no idea. I mean, after being a therapist for all this time, I had no experience in OCD and I had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. So I just I went back into therapy and I tried to f- you know figure out what was happening, but I tried EMDR first because I thought maybe this is trauma and that mm-hmm. just made it ten times worse because it allowed mm-hmm. me to ruminate so much more. Yeah, yeah. And the one moment of crystallizing what this was was I was I, I tend to be a Googler, which is a really big OCD <laughs> compulsion. <laughs> And I Googled my thoughts. I Googled suicidal thoughts not depressed. And what popped up was an article of an excerpt of a book called Harm OCD, which I actually have sitting next to me. And it it wrote out exactly what I was experiencing. And I was like, holy shit, this is me. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I have OCD. <laughs> That's so wild. And I just want to highlight this. Like I met, I met, Gina and I used to work together. So we were working together, like it was probably 2016-ish. So you're She's already up and going. Like she's doing the therapy mm-hmm. for a while now. Like you've got a lot of experience and to still be in the position and I think if anything it probably adds to the whole oh my god am I losing it um mm-hmm. fear because you are a therapist, you are skilled in mental health. And so to be in that position to be like wait, I don't know what's going on with me, that's really terrifying. And then I could also I've seen it happen for other people and I've seen it happen you know, in situations just like with myself or my own clients where it's like, okay, is this trauma? Like, what is this? How are we fixing it? And then to go through a, you know, a type of therapy that makes it work and not really know what you need and just how scary that is, especially as a therapist, because you're like, wait, I'm supposed to know yeah. what I need. And I have no idea. Also just can really, I read this, uh, I there's this meme the other night. It was like, uh, Googling, you know, I have a headache and WebMDs, like, and it'll be your last. <laughs> and I was like, that's totally how it feels. So you're, there's all of these paths kind of lead you to like, oh crap. And I'm also, I don't want to get sidetracked on this because I want to have a whole other episode on it. But my brother has been having a really hard time in relationships, like a lot uh-huh. of self-doubt, second guessing himself. And I would just have moments to him where I'm like, Ray, stop listening to your thoughts. Like you literally right. have to stop. And he would be like in his relationship, like 
but do I really love her or am I just saying, and what if I actually don't? And so anyways, recently he came across relationship OCD, Yep. which mm-hmm. he found on TikTok. So initially I'm like, oh God, what is TikTok? <laughs> but like when he was reading me some of the pieces and I could, I, I just highlighted to say, you know, there is this like dialectic of just because that I saw it on TikTok doesn't mean I have a diagnosis. Right. Well, at the same time, being open to just because it doesn't live or isn't defined in the DSM doesn't mean that this isn't something that's impacting my life in a way that's causing me harm. And I deserve Mm -hmm. to feel better and to fix it, even if I don't know what that is. So anyway, so you find this book, Harm OCD, this clicks for you. And then do you find someone who specializes in treating this? Well, here's where things got sticky. Number one, there are very few OCD people that specialize in OCD in this area. Mm Mm-hmm. One of them is a friend of mine, so I was like, I can't go to her. Right. <laughs> I was like, and uh, the other, they their sessions are like two hundred and fifty dollars a session, and I was yeah. like, I can't afford that, you know. Yeah. So I was really quite stuck. So I did what any go-getting, problem-solving, wait for it, <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got myself trained in, in <laughs> tra- training OCD to tra- treat myself, right? <laughs> slow clap do not recommend folks and this is amazing (laughs) yeah 10 out of 10 do not recommend i do think that it like made my treatment so much longer because i didn't have someone on the outside to be like you're doing that that again like you're ruminating you can't do that right and when you look at you ocd compulsions insight hoarding is a big one so like if you're compulsively reading and like looking Mm. for the thing that's going to be the thing that's going to fix you that is a compulsion so anyway here we are so i did i read everything available on how to treat ocd and what harm ocd is and i learned about every single subtype and then i finally took a training on exposure and response prevention in probably the spring of 2020 i guess and it was great. And I did my own exposure and response prevention. Again, 10 out of 10 do not recommend. Yeah, 100%. What, the, what were the exposures like, though? So if you're having these thoughts of like something bad, let's take the Disney example where you're like, what if I have a panic attack and I have to go into the water and then there's alligators in there? Like, what would an exposure be for something like that? Yeah. So for me, you know, I think this is true for most people that have OCD. But for me specifically, I was afraid of my thoughts. So I really had to expose myself to, and I had what is in the OCD world, there's these, there's things called fusion beliefs. And this is thought action. For me, it was thought action fusion and thought thought fusion. So thought action fusion is the belief that having the presence of a thought is just as bad as having acted upon the thought. So you start living in the fear of just because I had the thought, it's just as bad as if I acted upon it. And then thought, thought fusion, which is the fear that if you, it's like the fear, fear of thoughts, basically. But if you have the fear of the thought having occurred, that it's almost, it's, it's as if you wanted that thought to happen. So those two things for me, I had to learn about those particular aspects of it. But really, I did a lot of exposures around my thoughts. I would make myself trigger these thoughts coming on, you know, thoughts of what if I hurt myself? What if I lose it? What if I go crazy? And I would have to 
do in the world of exposures, there's several different kinds. There's in vivo, which is in real life. There's imaginal exposures. So I had to do a fair amount of imaginal exposures, which means I wrote out scripts of the worst thing that could happen. And I would read it over and over and over and over and over again until basically it didn't bother me anymore. And really what you're teaching yourself is that you can have those thoughts and it doesn't come true. Right, so you can tolerate it. Exactly. I would have to watch movies that had themes of suicide and self-harm in it and like sweat the entire way and not do compulsions, not compare myself to what I was seeing in these movies versus what I was feeling, not find self-reassurance. Yeah, it was really intense. It was really, really intense. And it was to this day, I mean, I've been through some really hard stuff in my life, but the recovery from OCD was the hardest hands down I have ever done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you have to push yourself through all of your absolute worst fears that your compulsions have been trying to help you to avoid your, you know, your brain's trying to keep you safe. I'm curious, we're getting close to the end. But I have to know, like, what do you think about Again, this is for my own personal gain, but like, what do you think about? Because I struggle with myself and my own thoughts, as well as being a trauma therapist. And now, once I became a mom, oh my God, yeah. like the thoughts got so much. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so, like, the I'm going to have to jump off the boat and get eaten by alligators. Like, I can totally relate to something like that. Uh huh. But I, I'm curious about like being a therapy, you know, this is what you specialize in and you've gone through it yourself. Like, what do you say to people who have fears about things. For example, like as a prolonged exposure therapist, one of the beliefs that we target is like that the world is an unsafe place. And I have a hard time because I feel like the world is unsafe. I like shudder to say this out loud because my clients are listening and they're like, wait, Shailene, you're telling me the opposite (laughs) session. But like, I just, I, I have moments I can work with someone through that, but I do have moments myself, like, you know, with the shootings and yeah. All of that stuff. Like I think of, I think about that off like every time I go into a, a Target or a movie theater mm-hmm. or a con, like I'm thinking of those things. And so I guess like what do you say to that when you're because you're trying to get yourself in this place of like the likelihood that these things are gonna happen are very low, but you also have to sit with like, but they could happen. And that's the exposure is walking yourself through like this could happen and how could you possibly tolerate it if everything if everything tragic did happen. How do you help people through that part? Like when they're like, but have you seen the news? Like the world is really unsafe. Yeah. So a little bit of an offshoot of this, but I, after doing exposure and response prevention, I found what's called inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy for OCD. And this was game-changing and it also answers the question of what you're saying because it was a thing where I was still using possibility as evidence. Um, And that's an aspect of inference of ICBT, we call it. So for me, what was important and what I had to do was I had to build trust in myself that I could handle whatever happened. And I had to be able to recognize when I was crossing over the bridge into OCD world and using possibility as evidence or using in OCD, we look at OCD pulling off of five different categories of information, which is abstract facts, which is facts that occur in the world, rules, societal rules, or ones that we make, hearsay, personal experience, and it's possible. And it's using all of those things and taking them out of context. And I had to really be able to recognize when my brain was doing that, when my fear was trying to keep me so safe that it was like, well, this thing is possible. So like, I have to do something about it. So that for, I feel like for a lot of people that are struggling, 
being able to recognize, yeah, that would be really scary and really hard and I can handle it. No matter what happens, I can learn to trust in myself and handle whatever happens in this world. I've been through a lot of crap and I've handled 100% of those things. Mm -hmm. I may not have liked it, but I have handled it and I know that I can do that again. And then the other aspect is recognizing when you're getting pulled into your imagination and creating all of these possible and super scary stories, but in actuality, none of that's happening. It's just happening in the mm. movie theater of your brain. Oh, man, I feel um, hopeful. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> everyone listening is like, thanks. Glad I tuned in. <laughs> Glad you were you were scared the entire time. Yeah, I just feel like this has been a really great talk on one, a wealth of information about OCD, but I feel like it's going to open the eyes of a lot of people, clients and therapists as well, who might be stuck in seeing something in one way, who really need to zoom out and, and consider another perspective. And again, all roads of anxiety, trauma, panic, like they're, they're all in the anxiety umbrella, all, all roads to recovery lead into present moment awareness and exposure. So it's like, uh -huh. no matter what, you got to lean in and you got to push through it to get to the other side. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only about like teaching everything that you've taught us today, but also sharing about your own story. I know people will just have like a sense of relief and validation hearing that come from a therapist. Let people know where they can find you and learn more about your services. Yeah, of course. So um, you can visit me at changeofmindcounseling.com. I'm in there. And then we also have uh, an Instagram account with the same name. And we have a Facebook page as well, all the, the fun social media things. Um, so anyone is welcome to reach out to me with questions and that's where you can find me. Yeah. And Gina's practice is virtual. So anywhere in New Jersey, right? Yep. Anywhere in New Jersey. And we also have a few therapists that are licensed in other states like Florida and Pennsylvania. And uh, I think there's another one and I'm totally blanking. Oh, Vermont. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, right. That's awesome. Yeah. So people, so people from all over can reach out. All right, everyone. Well, thanks again, Gina, for coming on to Tea Talk and everyone else. I will talk to you next time. Take good care. All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way. And let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all. And make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends, take good care and I will see you next time.